Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. All right, Peyton Schubrick on the Rider Flex podcast. Hi, Peyton. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am. I am pronouncing your last name correctly, aren't I? Schubrick. Oh. Yes. Schubrick. Uh, Schubrick. I liked it. I like it. Um, by the way, Peyton uh, is on LinkedIn. She loves it when people connect with her on LinkedIn. So you can find her there. <laughs> I do. I do. S H U B R I C K. Peyton Schubrick. Um, so are you in uh, Springfield today in the store or whereabouts? I am. I virtually live here at this point in time. Uh, we are officially on day 32 of being open to the general public. You got a little like cot in the back, like a little, like a little bed in the back. You just kind of sleep back there for a couple hours, get up and keep going. Yeah. I mean, I do have a sofa in my office, so that seems to be where I spend most days and nights on occasion. Um, but yeah, love showing up here every day. I have a great team, but I haven't gotten out much lately. Living the startup life, right? Almost certainly. Living the dream, as they say. Living the dream. LTD. That's what we used to call it for short. LTD. <laughs> Be before we get into the store, uh, Six Bricks, and get into the company, Let's talk about Peyton, early life, uh, mom, dad, siblings, where you grew up. Give give us some some history, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't at all. So born and raised here in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, the oldest of four. Um, fun fact, my sisters and I all have unisex names. So Peyton Taylor Jordan. And then I have a brother, Frederick II. And uh, really good home life. Can't complain. Mom and dad, uh, Sunday dinners, and really grew up in a strong community environment. I stayed far out of trouble. So growing up here in the city of Springfield, it wasn't until I went to college that I was aware of how people viewed the city of Springfield, because to me, it was always home, right? And then you go to college and freshman year, people are like, so how did you survive Springfield? I'm like, what are these people talking about, right? And, and then you come to the realization of how people view your hometown. Uh, but I always like to tell people it's one of the things you can't change about yourself, right? You can't pick your family and you can't pick where you were born. And so right. embracing it has been something I've always found myself doing. But yeah, no complaints. A pretty uh, close-knit family, I would say. Okay. And what'd your folks do? So my father was in the trucking industry for quite some time as a truck driver um, for various entities like Stop and Shop and Hood. And my mother is an administrative assistant for what used to be Columbia Gas of Massachusetts, but is now Eversource. Okay, very good. And you said four siblings in total, right? Is that right? Four, including me. Yes. Four, including you. Okay. And where are you? Are you? I'm old? the oldest. You're the oldest. Okay. All right. Does that, did you have to do a lot of babysitting, a lot of uh, mentoring? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say I really embraced being the oldest. Uh, it could have been a combination of different family members prepping me for this role or just the natural leader in me. But I would say I took on the role of babysitting as uh, my first attempts of hosting meetings, making folks do things that perhaps they didn't want to do. Like we're going to play house today and we're going to dress up. Uh, and so really ensuring that I was able to um, learn how to influence when you really didn't have power and authority early on, um, which probably set me up for my career trajectory as we now think about it. I mean, yeah, you're a natural leader, obviously. Uh what kind of kid were you were, uh, in high school? Were you straight A student? Were you a little bit of a rebel? Like, where, where were you in there? Yeah. So I, in high school, well, I guess going back to really elementary school, I was always an overachiever. Um, so if I got a 98, I really wanted the 100. And oh. so I could never be really right. satisfied with what I got because I knew I was missing something in there. So 
Oh, elementary school, Catholic school, uh, learned a lot about Hail Marys and progressing into what was high school. I kept a lot of that intact. So three varsity sports, um, never really happy unless I had a first place finish uh, and wanting to get the best grades so I can get into the best schools. And so I can acknowledge now is probably my own worst critic relative to wanting to get it all done, and even if I didn't have the time to do it. So I would be notorious for going to a soccer game finishing it, and then running to a band concert because I was also in band. So um, the idea of missing out on something just didn't sit well with me. So I attempted to do it all. And that stayed pretty true throughout college as well, um, being in a multitude of different activities. I see that. And by the way, I love the fact that on your LinkedIn profile that you actually have some of those collegiate activities on there. I wish more people would do that. It just shows early signs of leadership, um, organization, time management, and everything else it takes to do activities while you're in school, right? So I love the fact that you have that on there. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, honestly speaking, I love the fact that as a part of my education, I did have access to sports. I think it really informed quick decision making, especially whether you're on the track or on the field, having to decide, but then also the dynamics of being on a team, right? I mean, in college, I ran track and field, but the reality of it is I still required a team to win the meet at the end of the day uh, so I can win my event, but it didn't mean much if my team was blown out. Um, So I love connecting with folks that are current or former athletes, um, because there is something special about that camaraderie you build when you're working towards a common goal. Oh, no doubt about it. As a recruiting firm and as a recruiter and somebody that's been hiring people for years and years and years, decades, if I see a candidate that played college athletics and worked and went to school all the way, I mean, I, you know, you just know they are determined, yeah. work ethic, grit. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. I mean, seriously. Um, So you ran track at at, uh, Holy Cross, College of the Holy Cross. Um, Is that what 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 is that? Division two, division one, three. What is that? That's division one. So they are in the Patriot League. Um, So we would compete against schools like Army and Navy. Um, the running joke in the family now is uh, my sister recently graduated from Holy Cross as well. So she graduated in May. She was also on the women's track and field team, but she's a thrower and she was able to secure two school records to my one, but my one was on a relay. Um, so she says I had a uniform where she competed um, as a running joke. Um, I like to think I did more than just wear the uniform, uh, but you know, to each his own. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. Wow. So some uh, athletes in the family so was your mom or dad the athlete or both who was the where where'd it come from where's the genes well it depends on which one you ask right (laughs) Um, mom will claim that she had some athletic abilities in there but um i would say we take more so after our dad who was uh big into basketball was he okay very good so you were fast obviously you were super fast I like to think so. I mean, going sub 60 <laughs> and the 400 meters is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, wow. And, you know, it definitely builds character. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, pretty cool. Did you go on scholarship, by the way? I Tour? did. Very yeah. nice. Oh, congratulations. I, I see political science in there as the, as the major for, for your undergrad. Were you going to what were you going to do with that? Were you going to teach? Were you going to go? Were you going to be going to politics? What was the plan there? Yeah, so the plan at the time was law school. And oh. if you talk to my uh, dad now, he will still ask, when am I going? Uh, so uh, the reality is after graduating in 2015, that was the plan. I was supposed to go to law school. Uh, my dad had paid for the LSAT course, the books oh. and the oh. test. And then I just didn't take it, meaning the test. Um, And so at that point, cannabis had definitely caught my eye. But the plan was for me to have a groundbreaking case and change the course of American history forever as a lawyer. Uh, Just haven't gotten around to it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Are there other attorneys in the family? No, I was supposed to be the first. Uh, My dad's a bit old school, but I can appreciate it. So, you know, every family needs a lawyer, doctor police officer and so right right i was supposed yeah. to be the lawyer your dad's probably my age i'm 55 how old is he he's around the same age as that around, around the same age yeah that's, that's about what i figured he probably went he went to high school in the 80s i'm sure probably right yeah <laughs> yeah oh, we, we, I gotta, 
Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. What were we going to say? I was like, both of my parents, um, you know, born in New York, Ossining, Westchester County, um, smaller town feel. um, But yeah, they had a lot of that old school upbringing, you know, getting in before the street lights and just having a different view of, you know, what a successful career path is. So um, it's definitely been a journey of getting them to where they are now working at a cannabis company. (laughs) So they both work for you. Yes. Wow. How about that? That is, that is, how about any of your siblings? Any, any other family members so far? So of the six, that makes six bricks with the yeah. play on the last name. Oh, 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 whoa, oh, oh, I see. That's why it's called six. Okay. Got yeah. it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Who else works there? Yeah. So um, you have mom, dad, myself, and my sister, Taylor. Uh, Jordan is now at Duke for graduate school and Frederick's 13. So he has a while before he can legally participate. Okay. Frederick's 13. Now that's okay. So 13, what is that? Freshman? What is that? I can't remember. What, what, what eighth grade. grade. Eighth grade. So, right. So he's in eighth grade this year. And he's like, listen, my sister, my, my whole family's in cannabis. His friends probably think he is the coolest. <laughs> It's all fun and games until you get a note home because he's told the teacher, maybe you need some CBD. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, he's probably like, I got the coolest family ever. Uh, that's uh, now now and then the way the laws work, right? He can't even come in. Can he even come into the store? I don't know how. Yeah, he can't even. He can't come in and like see mom and dad or visit anybody because you can't let him in, right? No, grand opening. He was a, a little sour, given the fact that the whole family could yeah. be there and cut a ribbon. And he's one of the bricks. There would not be six without him. It'd only be five. And that doesn't sound as good. And so, yeah, uh, he got many of us for pizza, V-Bucks and all the other things that 13 year old young men are into. Well, I got you. Wow. OK, very, very cool. So and then. All right. So an overachiever kicked ass in high school, went to college, athletics in college, student government, all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, how about relationships? What are, are, have you had partners, married kids, single, a nun? What, what's going on? What, give us the, give us the Peyton story there. Uh, great question. Uh, woefully single at this point in time. Um, came to that realization uh, in the process of standing up six bricks have been in relationships prior to that I mean high school college right just kind of figuring out like any person would when you're early into relationships what you like what you don't like so on and so forth Um, Mm -hmm. but over the course of the journey of standing up six bricks it just came abundantly clear uh, that having a partner uh, wasn't fair to them just given the imbalance of what can be the license process here in the state of Massachusetts and not being able to commit to time frames, right? Uh, the last thing you want to do is tell your partner, you don't know when your business is going to open. So life decisions like kids and other things aren't a timetable you're willing to commit to just yet. So no kids, no husband, woefully single. We'll keep well, it that now, way. Yeah, yeah, but now that you're on a cannabis, now you, this is a single store operation. So you're, pro- although you're in the office right now, I'm sure you do it all and you're probably all over the place. So you're probably on the sales floor a lot, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Right. Almost and, certainly. Uh, yeah. So everybody that comes in, they're like, uh, yeah, what, is that the owner? Yeah. I want to meet her. Yeah. I'm sure you get a lot of that. <laughs> oh yeah. Most certainly the amount of meetings and I'm using air quotes that I have with, um, different account executives, vendors who would like to show up to take me to a nice lunch. It's interesting <laughs> to say the least. Um, but I mean, Hey, you know, some free lunches, free dinners, free happy hours. I mean, Hey, I mean, you know, sometimes take advantage. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe I'll revisit that strategy in Q1 of 2023, but um, you know, it is that awkwardness of having someone ask you for what they think would be a romantic dinner, not acknowledging that your father in the meeting, uh, excuse me, that your father's in the meeting. And so it's just the awkward dynamic of it's hard to date at work when your dad's here too. <laughs> What's your, what's your, what's your dad do? Does your dad, does he kind of like start moving around the chair? Does he kind of like get uncomfortable? Oh, what, how does he, how does he respond to that? I mean, his classic response is we're here to talk business, not dating my daughter. And then there's this 
dead silence that falls into the room afterwards. Um, <laughs> that quickly ends that. I mean, I think he's made a lot of young men uncomfortable as a result. Uh, uh, he he makes me uncomfortable just by looking at his photo. He looks like a big guy. I I get unco- I'm uncomfortable just looking at the website. I'm like, okay, I don't want to mess with him because he looks <laughs> like he might uh, get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you have your classic um, protective dad who wants to see his daughter be successful and taken seriously, hence the unisex name, which is something that, you know, at first when you're younger, you want a more feminine name like Sarah, for example, and then you realize that people can't really figure out your gender to start. I have more name tags that say Mr. Paint and hanging in my office than anything else. So, um, you know, job well done, Fred. Job well done. Uh, was that? <laughs> Uh, was that his deal was that your mom and him deciding that whole name thing with all the 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 kids together where'd that come yeah that was really my dad's uh doing so he had a sister with a very feminine name um her name being yali and he knew that there were times because she um chose a career path in military that it affected her um and so he didn't want me to have the same experience normally my sisters and so with us having unisex name it became a really unique opportunity and I mean obviously ignorance is bliss when you're young and it's your 13th birthday and you know the restaurant starts cheering happy birthday and says Mr. Payton and picks your classmate next to you versus you to drop the cake you don't really enjoy it Um, but as I've gotten older I can definitely have an appreciation for folks not necessarily knowing who's going to appear in the room and then seeing me and a dress and heels and them quickly etching out the mister. Uh, so it's less awkward for them and I. Uh, so yeah, I've grown into it and accepted it. But I can truly say he's probably one of the reasons I can call myself a visionary to a certain extent, because you can really see things um, before they happen, which is that's, nice. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, I did the same thing when I first saw your name from t- our buddy, Tom, our friend, Tom. I saw your name, Peyton, you know, I did the same thing. You know, I was like, oh, I was, you know, let me check this guy out or whatever I said in my <laughs> own mind, you know, and then I read his email and I'm like, wait a minute, she, hold on. What? Oh, let me pull it up on LinkedIn. Let me look on LinkedIn here. Oh, okay. I mean, I did the same thing. I'm sure that happens all the time. Um, okay. Now, so talk to us about, you worked for Mass Mutual for like what, 10 years or something. How, how long did you work there? Uh, so it is a total of 10. I started as an intern uh, the summer after graduating high school and their IT academy at the time. Okay. And so I was an intern for about four summers and then a full-time employee for six years. Wow. How about that? Uh, listen to that, everybody. Running track, student government, uh, straight A's, um, worked her ass off in the summer for internship, get an internship early, make sure you make connections. I mean, these are all of the right things to do. Did you do anything bad? Did you take any wrong turns? I mean, is there anything good in there? Like, have you ever been arrested or anything cool? Like something, something fun. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, you said it yourself. You saw Fred's photo and that was enough to make yeah. you be like, oh, I'm not going to tempt fate on that one. Right. Uh, so growing up, no, I, I didn't get yeah. into too right. much trouble. I tried to keep it on the straight and narrow. I think probably the worst thing I did is I attempted to skip school once and then chickened out. Um, but then I still got detention uh, because I was in the hallway without a pass. So detention, you got detention like one time. Seriously, I mean, you're doing all the right things here. So you're working, at, you could do the internship. And then, of course, they offer you the job, right? And then you're there yep. uh, for for six years. Where mm-hmm. does the transition us into cannabis? How does cannabis start to play into it? And, of course, I'm curious, was your family cannabis? Was your mom and dad cannabis? Did you smoke early on in high school? Just walk me through the whole thing. Yeah, go. you know, not, not necessarily the story yet, but where does the store you you opened yet, but where does cannabis come in? Go go for it. Yeah, so in high school, um, being the overachiever, I definitely knew folks who consumed cannabis, but wasn't necessarily comfortable doing it myself because I knew the consequences, right? And I think I was very practical at that point in time of just 
risk and reward, right? The risk was too high and there wasn't enough reward for me to try it when I was younger. But I was friends with most diverse groups of folks. So I knew the kids that were smoking. I also knew the kids who were selling it. And I saw the harsh reality of dropping a dime bag in the hallway and in-house suspension, followed by, you know, police pickup or a parent pickup at the end of the day. And seeing what that looked like for me was my first introduction into cannabis. And then, of course, you know, you meet the cool kids and they smell like it and they start having conversations. But it really wasn't until after graduating college, I was interning with the Springfield City Council because you kind of go through this weird transition after being a college athlete where it's such a part of your identity for whichever sport you're playing, that once that's gone, you're looking for something else. So no longer being a track athlete, I found myself looking to occupy that time and a regular workout wasn't cutting it. So I started interning with the Springfield City Council and it was right around the time the voters voted to legalize and I became really interested in cannabis. Why would the state of Massachusetts make it legal? And knowing some people who smoked it, I started kind of reviving those high school relationships to say, hey, I know I was a little judgy in high school, but can you tell me why you smoke so much? Like, what's in it for you? Why are you doing it? It's going to be legal. What does that look like? And so I would say early on in high school, I definitely had blinders on because I just knew it could get you in trouble. And that was the last thing I wanted. Um, And once it was legal, it really piqued my curiosity because for so long I was told it was bad. I mean, mom and dad did not smoke cannabis. There was no smoking or drinking in the household. So, I mean... I thought no, Sprite no drinking. So no drink. They didn't. They didn't. No wine for dinner. None of that with your mom and dad. Nope. Well, I, I no forgot to ask you. Were they, okay. Were they were they super religious? Like pretty conservative? Like Catholic or anything? Like is there any religion in there? Church in there? I mean. I went to Catholic school when I was in elementary school, and um, we definitely did have a period of time where going to church on Sunday was a regular cadence. I would say that kind. Of- Kind of broke up after going to college just because I wasn't in the home as okay. much. Okay. Um, okay. But, but no drinking. I, pretty, pretty, no. pretty conservative household there with the drugs and alcohol for sure. Yeah. And it was really just around what I think at the time was my father's understanding of wanting a clear heart, heart, head and mind. Right. And so as I thought about that, acknowledging certain substances could alter it. I didn't necessarily criminalize people who participated. I just knew it wasn't something that Okay. I was comfortable doing. Okay. And the city council thing really is where you, so you telling me now, this is the perfect time to finally confess about something. If you want to for in high school or college, I mean, I know Fred's going to listen, your mom's going to listen, but right now, if you want to tell us about the time in college where you, you know, you, you did some partaking of something. I mean, go ahead, Peyton, you can tell us it's all right. Um, was I ever in a room where it was consumed? Yes. Did I do it? No. I mean, I was scaredy cat. I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to do this and no one find out about it. So I was also on the track team. Right. So in my mind, I associated cannabis with messing up lungs. And I was like, well, I know how it feels after 400. Now I don't want it to feel any worse. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my turn. Now, how about, but how about you had some beers, some wine? I mean, come on now, in college. Yeah, in college, I would definitely say, I mean, because I was so involved with different community organizations, I mean, Jesuits do like their wine. So I was going to dinners with the president of the college and they're asking, would you like a pour? So I would say college definitely allowed me more of a sandbox to explore those things. You mentioned, um, but I want to come, we'll come back to the city council thing, but you mentioned being able to hang out with diverse groups in high school. And I I think that's, that's a key thing there. Um, I always tell people the same thing. Like I could go, I, and my, my uh, story was, I'd be like, look, I could sit at any table, any lunchroom table, especially like in junior high and early high school, before you could leave campus, we had like the thug group. We called them the thug groups, like the, the, the hardcore kids that lived on the bad side of town, which I actually lived on because my mom got divorced. But I could hang out with the preppy kids, too, because my dad bought me clothes that made it look like I had money, but I actually didn't. So I could kind of fake it out. I hang on the preppy kids. I go over here, go over here, go over here. Okay. Didn't matter. You know what? What group I could I could pretty much hang out with any group. And I enjoyed being able to do that because I had friends in all areas. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So if something was going down, I I I, I was protected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you like that? Is it, is it like that for you? You could you could kind of just hang out with any group. Oh, most certainly. I think also too, a lot of it just came to what I was interested in and that brought the diversity of friends, right? So I wasn't your cookie cutter varsity athlete who's all about sports. I was interested in band, but I was also interested in student government and I was interested in debate, but I was also interested in art. And so a lot of my interests then fueled the community that I built where to your point, right? I could sit at any lunch table comfortably because I hadn't box myself into the singular identity. Uh, But honestly, it also early on in my life made it clear to me the importance of being able to talk to different people from different backgrounds and just the beauty in that diversity. Uh, And so for me, I love being at a table where I know the least because I get to learn the most. And so, yeah, I learned that in high school, just casually allowing my interest to then introduce me to the friends that I would make. I know the listeners of this episode are thinking, Oh, this is just kind of a fun little casual topic we're bringing up, bringing up here, but really it's important. And it, and it shapes your ability for communication and people skills as you get older and you're having meetings with different personalities and different cultures and different styles. And, and you learn how to adapt and move and, 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 you know, shift in certain uh, situations where you can win people over that you're trying to get something done, right? Or win a group over. It's just so important. I, I really, really encourage uh, younger people listening to this particular episode to stretch your mind, hang out, try to get, try to hang out with groups you don't hang out with every day. Come on, you could do it. <laughs> oh, most certainly. Most certainly. I joke with folks. I say some of my best friends are folks that look the complete opposite of me. I mean, the reality of it is at our core, we're all human beings. And so, yes, you see a young black woman, but would you know that one of the closest people to me is a Jesuit and the former president of Holy Cross? Mm, Probably not, right? (laughs) Until you have the conversation. Um, So yeah, can't complain there. Love it. The fact that, yeah, we're all human. At the end of the day, food, water, shelter, love faith of some kind probably i mean if you got this we're all looking for those the basic four or five things right there's 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 basic four or five things mm-hmm. food water shelter love health maybe faith like we're all looking for the same it don't matter who you are what race you are what it's all we're all looking for the basic four or five elements of life uh, is the way i like to think about it um okay so let's go back to the city council thing all right so, so you're doing this thing as city council you see this coming. You, this is you, you, it's obvious that it's going to pass. Everybody knows it's going to be legal. Now, your parents weren't entrepreneurs, so where where the where the whole how did this develop in your mind? You're like, wait a minute, okay, I'm interested in this. Then what? Are you thinking I just want to be involved in getting it passed, or are you immediately thinking I want to be involved in getting it passed and I want to open a store? Yeah, so I would say there was two things, kind of playing in the back of my mind. The first was acknowledging that my grandfather had actually been an entrepreneur and prior to his death, um, he was a very involved grandparent. He owned a storefront in Austin, New York. And I would hear stories about his experience in opening a store. And so that always stuck with me, just the fact that you had this cool. black man in a primarily white community being able to open a store and he would tell me cool. stories about the different things he experienced. And I mean, this was a man who literally left South Carolina running away from his family because they wanted to continue to live on the same plantation that our ancestors were once enslaved on. So he and I always had a special relationship just because I respected what he did. I mean, running away from home without a plan per se takes some real courage and boldness to it. Um, And so that was always in the back of my mind, just how did he have the strength to do what he did? And considering when he died, we didn't have time to kind of get more 
more into that due to my age and the timing of his passing. At the same time, my role with Mass Mutual had me exposed to a lot of startup companies. So I'd done a lot of work in research and development, meeting different uh, founders of companies, hearing them pitch and talk about their ideas. Ideas. And what was most interesting to me there is these were folks who were honest that they were dirt broke, eating ramen multiple times a night. But the minute you ask them to do a pitch, I mean, the energy and the passion they possess, it was like they just had, you know, a five course meal. And so there was something intriguing about being in the space where people were so happy, despite not knowing where their next meal was coming from or if they could make payroll in a week. Um, that was very intriguing to me. And so uh, the two kind of collided, right? This idea that my grandfather had the strength to do something that in theory maybe wouldn't have happened if it wasn't him. And at the same time, meeting all these entrepreneurs that were beyond passionate about their ideas on a reoccurring basis. And me just kind of thinking about my life and showing up to work every day at Mass Mutual was okay. But what else did I want out of life and what risk was I willing to take? Because as you pointed out, right, I really hadn't been a risk taker up until that point in my life of, you know, trying something that could get me in some trouble or trying something I could honestly fail at. I mean, if you look at my life up until that point, it was pretty safe, you know, don't get into trouble don't drink don't smoke have wine on occasion with the jesuits because then mom and dad will accept it um but don't do anything too crazy right. and so yeah i guess i just wanted to take a risk and see what would happen did you think okay so did you think i want to do a retail store or i just want to do something in cannabis how did that formulate so honestly speaking, a lot of it was dictated by the city of Springfield. They were clear they were going to have a request for proposals, but it was really only going to be for retail license. And I knew I didn't want to be in cannabis just to be in cannabis. I want to be in cannabis in my hometown because I wanted the folks in the city of Springfield to have a locally owned and operated dispensary option. But I also wanted it to reflect the community that we lived in, acknowledging the checkered history of cannabis. And so for me, it was understanding, I want to own a retail, but here are my provisions around why. I want to own it in the city of Springfield because I want those who live here to have an authentic option. And I also want something that's actually going to talk about the science and the benefits of the plant, not just the profit margins. And so once I started piecing together these concepts of, okay, I want to retail, uh, it then parlayed itself into really understanding what it needed to look and feel like from a branding perspective. Um, and so people, plant, and purpose were the three things that I kept saying, right? I wanted something that felt authentic to the people around me. I wanted to focus on the wellness aspects of the plant. And I wanted to have a purpose that wasn't just driven by dollars and cents. And so uh, that then burst what is now Six Bricks. You're talking like you're a long-term uh, retail slash wholesaler, but you're not. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> you sound you sound you sound like you are. You sound like you're this law. Like you've, you've been in branding and retail and wholesale. The way you just did that speech right there, you would just assume to look on your profile and be like, "Oh yeah, she's probably been in wholesale and retail her whole life." Wait a minute, hold on. Mass Mutual for ten years. What? Hold on. How she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's most interesting. Recently, the articles being written, they always like to include that I'm 29. It's like, okay, we get it. But, you know, that too, I, we forgot to mention the fact that you're only 29. You sound like you're like 49, like you're super experienced. Um, this is the kid okay, figuring now, out. <laughs> you're figuring all this out. And then, or then are they like, okay, we're going to take proposals or whatever they call it for certain for a certain number of licenses? Is that how it was going to work? So honestly speaking, ignorance is bliss because I didn't know what the process was going to look like. I honestly, in my heart of hearts, thought I'm going to put together a really good application. I'm going to submit it when they make this request for proposals and I'll get a license because nobody told me otherwise. The reality was the city said we're going to have a request for proposals and 27 groups applied, six bricks being one. And then they said, oh, wait, we only want four. And that's when my heart sank, right? Because at that point, I had spent some money out of my 401k 
Okay. Sorry, mom and dad. And I just assumed I was going to get it. And then I could figure out the investors and so on and so forth. But the city then I can figure it out. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get in the, I'll get in the door and then I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's small details to figure out later, but the reality was I didn't know the city was only going to pick four. So the money at that point was already spent. I needed to do the land surveys and figure all these other aspects out to make a full proposal to the city. And I didn't know how to make a proposal. So I'm trying to find the right lawyer, the right accountants. Um, you know, at that point, I just got my parents on board to the fact that their once lawyer who they, you know, thought was going to have a groundbreaking case is now all of a sudden going to be a legal drug dealer. So it's kind of a whirlwind of different things happening, right? I got my grand, or excuse me, I have my great aunt calling me at Christmas asking me why I'm not going to law school. And since when did I smoke candy? cannabis and it's like well i'm still not smoking it i'm just trying to sell it right so it's a little chaotic um but we got through it and ultimately what happened in july of 2019 after accepting all these proposals uh the city of springfield went through and ranked them all and we ranked third so we got an automatic bid to negotiate a host community agreement um but it should be noted we were ranked third after two multi-state operators so in my mind it was an unofficial for First place, you know, keeping in line with most of my career. I, I will just tell you, if I had been now, I am I before I started recruiting from Riderflex, I was a lifelong retail slash wholesaler executive, right? I spent my whole life doing it, branding, all of it. If I had been on the board or whatever, the, the group that decided who got the licenses, and I was looking at your profile, I'd be like, let, let me get this straight. She's got no retail experience, no wholesale experience. She really has no cannabis experience. She doesn't even smoke cannabis. She's only 28 years old. Like, no, like, no. But the answer is no. I would have just said no. <laughs> I like the honesty. <laughs> I mean, and the reality is this is 2019. So I was 26, which I don't think helped matters uh, because most people wow. were asking wow. me, what wow. business experience do you have? And yeah, I yeah, just what, kept pointing nope. to Mass Mutual. No entrepreneurial experience, never started. I mean, just you got, you get, there's nothing on your profile that, that <laughs> it's so good. That is such a great story. It must've been a hell of a proposal. I mean, seriously, damn, a great job. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, one of the things I will say, I think distinguished our proposal was the reality that I didn't want anybody speaking for me. So many of the groups sent their lawyers and I was very oh. clear that if I was going to do this, I wanted to speak for myself because I knew I couldn't compete with having millions in the bank or cannabis experience, but I wanted to be as authentic as possible. So if you look back at many of the recordings, because they were all recorded, it was a very oh. public process, you oh. would see a lawyer go up and kind of read through uh, the multi-state operator of xyz group that is going to come to the city of springfield create this many jobs so on and so forth then they'd sit down and then i go up and i mean let's be honest i studied political science so i knew how to stack things in my favor as it related to some of the greater politicians uh in american history so i knew mm. to get community support early on i knew mm. to engage community uh councils as i thought about it so my mm. presentation you saw springfield residents flood the gallery uh you saw me give my presentation and my sister initiating a standing ovation and then you saw me kind of mic drop and leave before somebody could ask questions right and so um there was some strategy involved but yeah if you looked at my resume there was nothing that indicated i would be able to successfully do this was it a was it kind of like the NFL draft? Like you get you got to go home and then wait for a week and you're all sitting around the living room waiting for a phone call. Like, how do you find out? Oh, yeah, it was longer than that. So they had oh. given the unofficial timeline of probably June time frame that we would find out. And then they pushed it back to July. So I remember the day we found out because I was actually sleeping, just trying not to think about it, because the whole time you're waiting, you have to think about it. I'm 26. I just took money out of my 401k. I still have to tell my parents I did that in hopes that I can tell them at the same time I tell them that we got a host community agreement, but 
oh, well, we'll figure it out. So I probably napped more then than I ever have in my life. Just trying not to think about worst case scenario, which is you're out of this money and you don't have the proposal. So um, we didn't get a phone call or anything. It was announced on the news. The mayor had oh. made a press release of the four groups that were selected and Six Bricks was there as third. So I napped through most of the phone calls and congratulatory text until my mom kind of shook me up. And at that point, I thought somebody died because she never really wakes me up from naps. Um, and so my response is, is everybody okay? Who died? And she said, no, you have a cannabis license, young lady. Um, and at that point, the verbiage wasn't clear. I had the right to negotiate a host community agreement and then get a cannabis license. But needless to say, I, I then quickly said, okay, great. Cause I got to tell you, I took money out of my 401k for this. <laughs> So that was the day. <laughs> That's pretty good. Did you still have your job, by the way? H had you quit already? Okay, you were still working. Oh. oh, yeah. No, I was too nervous for that. I was like, hey, listen, if this doesn't work out, we got to really double down here at Mass Mutual and figure out the vice president track in the next three years. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> did not give up my job at that point in time. Yeah, good move. Yeah, totally. Wow. So that's another uh, great uh tip slash thing we should share with the listeners. You did all of this homework and preparing for this proposal and the land survey, all the stuff you talked about, like this is all done while you have a full-time job, right? You know, which takes a lot of work, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly speaking, that's why you asked about relationships. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't have a social life for a little <laughs> while. I mean, I was that friend who was notorious for sending a gift and sending my regrets at the same time. I mean, I was all in. I really wanted to figure out this industry and also how I could make a difference in it. But there were no real weekends that I had to hang out with friends or go to events. It was mass mutual Monday through Friday, nine to five, and then six bricks from seven to midnight. And then every weekend, it's just whatever yeah. I couldn't get to wow. during the week. So, I mean, it was a real grind. And of course, anybody who you're trying to initiate a relationship with after the second or third cancellation, they're just kind of like, I'll pass, but thanks. Yeah, you're right. cool. See you later. <laughs> Now you can't can in mass can you, I don't know how the rules work I'm big, ignorant to it can you be a grower and a retailer or it's either or how does that work yeah, so that's a great question. There's a few different license types. So in theory, you could apply for a micro business and do both. You can grow, manufacture, and produce, and then sell. Um, I knew based on having conversations with folks that I only had the appetite to raise capital for retail because that was the other piece. Because I had interned with the Springfield City Council, I was meeting multi-state operators who at the time thought I was just this intern, right? But I was actually leveraging them for information. So in theory, if one were to go for a retail license, how much of an investment does that require? And they were like, well, mm. corporate typically will set you up between 1.5 to 3 million, depending on your build out, so on and so forth. And once they, you know, said 1.5 million as kind of the bare bones, uh, minimum point of entry i was like oh yeah that's that's the license type i'll go for because everything else is just more expensive okay i see all right very good now the building that you're in now did you try to make a move to buy it did you just lease and do the build out do you mind me asking uh, i don't mind you asking so in full transparency this is not the original location we applied for we applied for a location um because at the time i'll be honest i was thinking very small relative to what a retail experience could look like. And so okay. we were at a prior location that was in much more of an industrial uh, neighborhood um, with tractor trailers and oil and so on and so forth. It wasn't until the pandemic hit and I really had time to just sit like many other folks did and think through some things that I came to the conclusion that we would need to do a change of address to have additional square footage to set ourselves up for long-term success. As in my mind, cannabis is going to really start to evolve into more of a cannabis experience with the addition of other license types. Um, so once I knew I wanted to do the change of address, in my mind, I was just looking for a long-term lease. Again, thinking through the capital piece and not wanting to take on too much because also 
I'm still under 30. So it was figuring out like, and if this works well, we can keep going. But if it doesn't, that long-term commitment of buying a building doesn't seem like something you may be interested at this point, right? And this is the conversation you have with yourself as you figure out what makes most sense. So um, leases were comfortable because it was a short-term commitment, not a long-term one. Gotcha. But you did have to, you did have to pay for the build-out. I'm assuming it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, it was the perfect storm because I decided to start a business in an industry that's federally illegal. A pandemic hits, construction prices go through the roof, civil unrest after the murder of George Floyd. And if, for those listening, I'm a black woman. So, oh wow. yeah, it was a great time. <laughs> wow. How did you raise the cash for the build out? If you don't, did you get investors, friends and family? How'd you, how'd you get yeah. that capital? So we started with a round of friends and family uh, to get the initial um, capital needed so that we can go from what was me using 401k cash uh, through mm -hmm. hosting the agreement special permit to actually apply um, with the Cannabis Control Commission here in the state of Massachusetts. Um, so we started with friends and family that showed some really good commitment um, to what then became our investors um, so that we were able to progress through. But I mean, if you remember uh, 2020 and 2021, the way I do, I mean, construction prices went through the roof. So as quickly as we were raising capitals, also at the same time that our build out continued to get more and more expensive. <laughs> our first <laughs> quote was 800,000 for build out. The second mm. quote was 1.1. At that point, my family and I said, all right, pull the trigger. So we're literally buying sheetrock and lumber and stationing it at the location, right? Like we weren't even ready for it. It was just, if it gets any more expensive, this is not going to be good. The last yeah. quote we got from our GC was our build out. Had we waited any longer, probably would have ran us 1.7. And that's just because, you know, supply chain across the board. It wasn't just wow. the construction. It was laptops were hard to come by. And I mean, you remember it just as well as I did. Everything was kind of going through mm. the roof and harder mm. to secure. So it was a chaotic yeah. time. Yeah. 1.7 is high for a build out, but like, there's two things I kind of forgot about uh, that you just reminded me of. Number one, the, the cost of the supplies was outrageous then, and it was your first store. So the whole initial investment in POS and all these other things that had just hadn't been set up yet and software and whatever, like you, you were, I mean, cause it was your first location, which is always more expensive than your second location won't be nearly as expensive when you get ready to open up your second store. <laughs> yeah, no, most certainly. But I think also too, one of the hard parts was getting people to buy in. I mean, you have someone here who's many of the investors I was talking to at the time had kids my age. And I'm trying to get them to buy into this idea and this concept. And to your point, right, they're looking at their resume and they're hearing me talk and it's not adding up, right? Like, so no, really, do you have a marketing background? Did you study it in college? I'm like, no, I studied political science. I just need you to understand what I'm trying to do here in my hometown. And, and so it was a lot of different things that were happening. But I can say this, having a company, like I mentioned with the name Six Bricks, where you have mom and dad who are cheering you on the whole time. And you have your sisters who are watching you do this, as well as your brother looking into you. I mean, they just kept showing up saying you're going to figure it out you're going to figure it out so it definitely keeps you going but i mean when i say perfect storm i joke next time i start a business i'm just scared what's going to happen because i mean pandemic, <laughs> construction so on and so forth you name it we experienced it family and business um i've i've worked for a few uh companies where family members were involved um, you know, family in the building or a family member over here or there or whatever. And on the org chart, this family member kind of reports up to this non-family member person, but the family, you know, you know, uh, it can get, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dance, um, with, with oh, yeah. family. How's it been for How's it been so far? Yeah, I would say early on, my family and I were very clear when we sat down of how this needed to function in order for us all to be successful. And the biggest thing was writing it down. I mean, it's a 
different dynamic when mom and dad who you look up to i mean they changed your diapers for god's sake now you're calling by their first names hey fred and don how's it going today right uh and you're creating this church and state of home life and work life and you know your dad's sitting in meetings where men are hitting on you and he has to keep it as professional as possible so there were definitely growing pains but i think what helped us is one writing it all down but then two also providing spaces where we could still keep that family intact and having a 13 year old helps, right? So holidays, no talk of business, Sunday dinners, no talk of business. And then what we call the switch, right? Which is to say, what version of Peyton am I getting? Am I getting my daughter? Am I getting my sister? Or am I getting the CEO who's going to hold me accountable, but also putting timeframes around that, leaving work at work, right? So yes, I sat you down and told you what you can improve on at the office. And now when we go home, I'm asking you to buy me pizza because you're my mom or you're my dad. (laughs) Um, Have you actually had to, have you actually had to like, I don't want to use the word correct, but have you had to, I'm sure you've had moments where like, mom, no, you need to do it like this. I'm sure you've had that. Oh, yeah. I mean, but they've also had moments where they're like, hey, no, you got to do it like this. What are you doing? Like, calm down. Right. And so what I can appreciate it is this two way collaboration of they want what's best for me. I want what's best for them. But yeah, I'd be lying to you if I sat here and said every day it's rainbows and butterflies. No, there have been certain days where I'm like, do you want to work here? Because if not this might not be the right environment for you. Right. And so you have that conversation. And then two days later, you know, you're putting things in their stocking at Christmas. You know, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you didn't fake it out. You know, anybody that's anybody that comes on the Rider Flex podcast and tries to tell me that it's always rosy when family members work in the business. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. <laughs> not at all. Especially when your mom controls your calendar and she's like, so what's this thing Friday night? I'm trying to block time with you, young lady. It's like, <laughs> mom, if it's blocked out, it's blocked out. Please stop asking questions. Just let yeah, me have this one. <laughs> now, how about you and cannabis personally now? So, and, and your and your folks, I don't know if they'll let you answer that question, but now like is the whole family... Uh, cannabis consumers, smoking, edibles, casually, daily? Like, where are you with cannabis now, personally? Let's start with you personally. Yeah, so I would say me personally, I do consume. Um, I do keep myself to only the weekends, though, Um, keeping in line with this kind of clear heart, head, and mind Monday through Friday. But um, I would honestly credit the pandemic to uh, giving me more time to actually explore with a reasonable amount of safety in mind, if you will, right? Because what I found previously was I was always in settings with people, but not knowing exactly how I would feel or experiencing it. There was never this comfort of like, I can do this and all these people around won't pull out a phone, so on and so forth, right? So think about the times I went to high school and college, right? I still remember the Razor cell phones that you could pull out, right? Or the sidekicks. And then college, everybody had an iPhone. It was almost like a cult. And so it was just kind of like, well, at some point, if I'm going to be a lawyer, I could be in politics. And I see too many examples of politicians having photos leaked that are less than bad. Right. So don't want to do that. Um, But you had time because it was like, well, everything's canceled and stay home and a pandemic hit. So you find yourself exploring things. So I would say at that point, I was a little bit more comfortable saying, all right, I will go try this edible and see what happens. Right. And I think my first experience was I went to sleep. I like probably lost 12 hours of my life. I was just like two edibles and I'm gone. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then I knew I needed more education around it. And now I can say on the weekends that I'll casually consume uh, mom and dad or mom and dad. Right. So they uh, still do yeah. not consume, um, but they're supportive. And it's so funny because they've sat through the responsible vendor training and many other things. And the irony of it is they can talk to you about terpenes and cannabinoids and many other concepts 
They just don't know how they would personally experiencing it, right? Uh, so it, it's been an interesting dynamic of us all kind of figuring out our own relationship with cannabis. But one thing I will acknowledge is as a family, we all do have the belief that it can be a part of an individual's wellness routine, um, which has been for me at least um, really beautiful to see because I acknowledge that my parents didn't have to accept it the way they did. They didn't have to support it or embrace it, but they willfully chose to do so. Um, and so I respect their decisions not to consume, but also appreciate them uh, correcting uh, my orders when I try to purchase too many products with lemonine in it, which is a terpene. And they say, actually, I think you need to diversify this piece. Let's me not have the right team members around. <laughs> can you smoke at their house can you, can you go on the back porch at their house and smoke no that's when you take that thanksgiving walk with your cousins right um and plus you know considering how many cameras are at the house i wouldn't even want the evidence right um so no no consuming oh. at mom and dad's <laughs> did you know i'm 55 years old and still to this day when i go to my mom's in oklahoma me and my cousins or whoever else is around the rest of us 40 and 50 year olds keep in mind my mom's almost 80 still we will not drink in front of her like we'll we'll be like hey we're gonna go out back and check the garden and you know see and then we'll go, get a cup and we'll go like you know or we'll go out to my car or we'll go for a drive or, or whatever you know or it's still like weird my wife's always like what are you doing? She's like, you're 55. You're by the way, I'm a grandpa. She's like, you're a grandpa. You're still hiding alcohol from your mom. Like, that's weird. I'm like, I know, I know it's weird. I don't know. Anyway. Hey, you know what? All that tells me is I will be you in a few years, my friend, and probably still in the car on the way. I mean, that's it's so the great. reality though. I mean, I have friends who drink in front of their parents, consume cannabis in front of their parents. I just never think I'll get there. But it's yeah. also acknowledging that, I mean, they weren't born last night. They know it happens, right. um, but it's just not something that needs to happen to them. So air high five for all those that hide it from their parents. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, okay, very good. So we're almost out of time. A couple, two last questions here. I could talk to you for another hour, but uh, <laughs> what's that. the, do, do you want to build a national retail brand what what's the plan what, what's the plan long term great question um honestly when i started that was the plan right i wanted to become a multi-state operator having stores everywhere so on and so forth and the process of this journey though it became clear to me that what i was doing meant a lot to the community and that's the whole reason I got started. And I think it's easy to get lost in the hype of being able to make a lot of money in industry. Um, but for me right now, the focus is just kind of carving out my slice of the pie and really focusing on economic growth here in the city of Springfield. So my hope long term is that here at 1860 Main Street, where we currently have a retail, that if we look up a year, two or three down the line, we have delivery, social consumption and other types of cannabis licensures um, that allow me to hire more people from the city city of Springfield uh, and do more good here in my community because it'll always be home. By the way, for the listeners, six, the number six, sixbricks.com is, is the website. Uh, and you just gave the address. Last question. I, I asked this question a lot. Now, you're young. I can't believe you're only 29 years old. Wow. You're not even 30 years old yet. Holy cow. It's coming quick. Uh, oh. What, uh, if you had to define your core purpose, in life, which you've kind of been doing, you know, throughout the conversation. But if you had to put it in a sentence, maybe or two, what does that sound like for you? Peyton's core purpose. So I would borrow a saying from Soledad O'Brien, uh, who I had the privilege of seeing speak uh, while in college. And for me, it's really being a voice for the voiceless. I acknowledge because of my education and the opportunities that have presented 
themselves to me over time, that I can be a voice for those in the city of Springfield that have a cannabis conviction and can't get hired at a dispensary. I can be a voice for communities that had high arrest and conviction records and now are seeing multi-state operators benefit on the same streets that they were once arrested on. And so my purpose is providing a voice in this noisy industry to what needs to be corrected if we're really going to head towards a federal legalization and not further the economic divide that the same plant is now uh, legally providing a means for. Should we release everybody in prison right now for a non-violent marijuana conviction? Most certainly. We should have done it a long time ago. I totally agree. Crazy that there's people in the state of Colorado. There, There are men and women in Colorado prisons, the first state to legalize it, sitting there in prison right now for nonviolent marijuana charges. Meanwhile, I can go right down here and buy it at the dispensary right now. I mean, that is, I, I don't even know the word to describe it. I get so wound up about that. I, I get really passionate about it. I'm like, that is the, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Most certainly. I mean, the reality of what you're speaking to is I went to high school with people who went to jail over cannabis and that altered the trajectory of their life. And I'm now in a position where I'm financially benefiting from it. The difference is I'm aware of that. Right. And so you have these tone deaf multi-state operators that come in and dress their stores up like Apple stores. And they talk about, you know, this new industry. Cannabis is not new. The experience you're providing is right. But cannabis has been a part of the American history longer than you and I've both been alive. Right. And so uh, to me, it's making it clear that uh, yeah, multi-state operators you're doing well now, but what are you doing in the communities that Ooh, were brutalized, heavily policed when it wasn't legal? And if the answer is nothing, then you're problematic for multiple reasons. I have to add one more thing on that. I know we're going over on time. You probably have another meeting booked. No, Changing the trajectory, right? Like that part right there is, is I mean, it could have happened to me. I mean, could it, it could happen to me numerous times, numerous times over my life. Even back when I was in college in the 80s. I mean, when I was in college, I smoked all the time with my friends. I mean, all the time. And I think about my life and, and so many times I could have been arrested. And what if I'd have been sent to jail for two years? And then what if when I was in jail, then I joined a gang and then I had to hurt somebody to protect that. And then I did this and then I did that. And then all of a sudden, I mean, anything could have happened. Right. Anything could have happened. We should, in my opinion, first of all, we should release everybody in prison right now for a nonviolent marijuana conviction. Secondly, anybody walking around with a felony on their record for 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 marijuana should be expunged. Like, that's it. It's super simple. This is, this is not a this is a no brainer. I get I, I, I'm starting to get wound up and talk about it anyway. No, I mean, I appreciate the passion because the reality is enough people don't get wound up about it. Right. It's kind of that thing you kind of say, oh, yes, we're aware. But what are you doing to correct yeah, it? What are so you doing? Yeah. If you have millions in the bank and you're a multi-state operator, do better. Do that. Yep. Couldn't agree. Peyton, congratulations. Wonderful story. Appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the time.